Another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. I have been thinking about a few things that I want to share. One, I want to say thanks for the feedback on the podcast about sound quality. I just keep investing in getting better and better mics. So I think I'm at the top of the game now. So this should sound pretty good in your ear. Crisp. Crisp. You hear that be Sharp. Like a knife. But not too sharp that it cuts your ear. You know what I'm saying? So that's the first thing is to know that I really do care about what you think and what you feel and what you say. And I'm always doing the best I can. And that, you know, I'm not a radio host, interviewer trained. Uh, I have have asked uh, millions of questions in my life. And learning the balance of what people want in the podcast is also learning the separation between what people want in the podcast and I want the, what I want the podcast to look like. And I think that's just this balance of what is my self-expression and what do I love versus what do people think about what I love and my self-expression. And those, if I make that more important than my self-expression, then I enter a codependent pattern. And it's important to care about what people think, but it's important to not make that the abandonment of self-expression and the abandonment of what we would like something to be. And I I say this because I think it's really important to recognize when we do that in any area of our lives, you know, when we become or shape ourselves into who we think we need to be in order to minimize the amount of conflict or minimize the amount of possibility of rejection. But this is what happens when we don't share what we truly want in relationship when we begin dating or when we don't share our needs when we're in a relationship. So we end up in this space where we're not self-expressing because we're afraid of how it might impact other people, but at the same time we are rejecting ourselves. So just pay attention to every area of your life just as I do because healing the spaces of people-pleasing and all that kind of stuff and molding ourselves in order to fit in, these can show up in very subtle ways in work and everything. So that's the first thing I wanted to share is I'm coming in hot on this mic. So it's going to keep happening. And the quality will keep getting better. Also, a couple things that I was thinking about this week. One is I used to do this. I still do sometimes. I have to catch myself. But what I do is, you know, I think about a mistake I made in my past. And I would think to myself, I can't believe I did that. Like, I know that that was a bad decision and I should have been better. I shouldn't have waited so long to change. And I hear this a lot on my Instagram or my Facebook. People will say, I wish I had found you years ago. I wish I had found you 30 years ago. I wish I had found you eight months ago before I made this choice or mistake or I missed a red flag or whatever it is. Didn't share my needs, didn't learn about relationship. But the truth is, is that now is the perfect time. Uh, you know, I, I really know from myself personally, you know, I got lots of feedback and lots of advice when I was in the state of dark choices and compensatory strategies, drinking too much, whatever it is. And I know when I was in those states, people can tell you anything they want to tell you. And part of your unconscious might hear them. You know, it might be the beginning of a seed that wakes us up. But till we're ready to listen, we can't hear the teacher. 
not consciously at least. And so be gentle with yourself that you don't need to, just because you're thinking about these things now and you're waking up to who you are now and who you've been, you don't need to shame the part of you that made the mistake because the part of you that has made mistakes, and I've made plenty and still do because I'm a human, that part of us is the part of us that continues to wake us up. So when you look at 20-year-old you who might have done something that wasn't good or you think of 27-year-old you and you said something you shouldn't have said or you hurt someone's feelings or you cheated or whatever you've done, you have to look back and if you shame that part of you, then you can't... I mean, the irony is you're like, I can't believe I did that, but really you're separating yourself from that, so I can't believe you did that. But I always think like the 25-year-old version of me it turned, I had that thought with myself, and the 25-year-old version of me was like, fuck you. Like the only reason you know what you're judging me about is because I made the mistake. So maybe you should thank me. And I had this sort of uh, dialogue within myself and I laughed because I was like, wow, yeah, the only reason I actually know what I know today, the only reason I have the wisdom is because of the mistake I made. So don't shame the part of you that woke you up because you need that part. You need that part to be awake and you can't listen to all the wisdom that's inherent in the experience if you reject and shame that part of yourself because you won't be open to turning towards and unconditionally accepting them. So you, they, can tell you what you need to do to change your behavior to move forward and never repeat that pattern. That's the first part I was really thinking about this week. The second part is, you know, not everybody is going to be our teacher and you're going to find the teachers that you need as you grow and change, which has been true for me. You know, you move from one to the next and I think that's the beauty of podcasts, right? Because you get to hear so many different ways of being and just like everybody's not my teacher, um, I'm not everybody's teacher and that's the beauty of, and, and you aren't everybody's teacher, but you are someone's. And that's the beauty of sharing your experience and your story. And what you know to be true is that you can really help anybody. You know, if you've been through anything yourself, you can teach someone how to get through it. You become an expert in that thing. And the other thing is we have to, and you see this a lot, and if you're listening and you have a very rare condition or an autoimmune that was hard to identify and people don't know what's going on with it, or where, you know, it took a long time and you had to become an expert in that area in order to figure out what was going on with yourself. You see that being able to really put something in a box and a diagnosis can be very hard, especially with abstract symptoms and things like that. And I think the more important part with that is if you're seeking healing for something, one, don't hold the belief that you're broken and you're a problem that needs to be fixed. Because that's not true. You know, I hear people say, like, when I finally do this thing, I'll be whole. It's like you already are whole. Sometimes you just need to um, give yourself permission to be whole, to be ready, to be enough. Because you're enough as you are. You don't need to go read a book to become enough. You might need to read a book or do a program to unprogram something that told you that you're not. But imagine if you just forgot about your story and your past and your childhood and you were just here, you wouldn't have all these constructs and thoughts about who you are and what it means and all that stuff. You'd just be here. You'd just be enough. You would just exist. 
It's amazing though, right? Because we feel our past. You, we look back at our story and you can't touch it. You know, then I, I do love that philosophical thought when we start to go down the rabbit hole of why does it hold us hostage so much? It has already gone by and some of that pain gets stuck in us, you know, it gets stuck in our bodies. You see that when, you know, we get PTSD to anything, which can literally be just a rejection. You know, Julie Gottman talked about um, trauma being defined as anything you couldn't prepare for. I love that wide definition because it really allows for you and I to have traumas that are real, that we didn't give ourselves permission for because we often have sort of a trauma hierarchy. Like, my trauma is bigger than your trauma. My wound's bigger than your wound. But something that happened to you that you code as a nine to someone else might be a two. And that's not better or worse. That just is. You have the permission to your pain. You have the permission to your hurt. And keep seeking, you know. Keep trying different modalities of how you can move your way out. Sometimes doing somatic things, body work and breath work. Things like that bypass the mind so that we can heal without trying to use the intellect. And you get these crazy releases, you know, if you don't do yoga. Uh, meditation, of course, an incredibly important skill. But if you don't do yoga, you know, you often go to a yoga class and people go into hip, uh, into pigeon. And it opens the hips. And while we hold a lot of emotion in our hips, you know, it's crazy, right? That's where the nerves all connect. And then we, that to the part of us that connects us to the ground, which is, so fascinating how the body works. So I, w I really want to open you to the thought or the idea and the discussion of don't just get stuck on one form of healing. Really seek, really try different things. And the beautiful thing is um, there are so many things that you can learn to do online for free. And uh, the reason I wanted to mention all of this is that this week's guest is a really good friend of mine, um, Sam Skelly. And you're going to hear about her story on here, but her path to where, you know, what tools she uses. And, and we talk about breathwork, which I don't really know. I didn't know a lot about breathwork and we have an experience of um, doing a bit of it on the podcast. So I'm really excited for you to listen and to experience this and um, wherever you're at, uh, as my dad used to say, wherever you're at, you're there. And we're always in the perfect place, and it's always the perfect time to wake up, to be here, to grow, to heal. You didn't need it sooner because you wouldn't have found it because you weren't ready. It's just like me. And so I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that I'm in your ear, and you're in my heart. So without further ado, here is Sam Skelly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mark Groves podcast. I always want to say with your host, Mark Groves, but this is so obvious. I don't even need to say that. Anyways, today, I am blessed to have a very good friend of mine, Sam Skelly, on the podcast. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to... Do you go by the full you. Samantha? You know, I introduce myself. This is weird. I introduce myself as Samantha. But no one calls me it. You know, it's like I'm so trying to many. be like a little bit professional, but it doesn't work. Yeah, so many syllables. Samantha. It's yeah, like 10 seconds later I've said your name. I know. Go Sam or Skelly. You call me Sam, I think, right? I do mostly. 
Skelly, yeah. no, that hasn't hit my no, brain yet. Hasn't hit your brain. <laughs> well, Sam, when Sam and I first met, she had founded Hungry for Happiness, which is mm-hmm. uh, an organization that's about helping young men and women, right? It's mm-hmm. not just young, old, everyone, basically, and everything in between, not just men and women, um, recover from eating disorders, which mm-hmm. is such a <clears throat> such a beautiful mission. I love that, but it's transformed, right? Because you started with that and that still is alive and well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now tell us where it sort of led. So it's so, this is so full circle. It's so interesting talking to you. I have this like vivid memory of you and I being at a cafe in Yale Town. Um, and you were, dre- I think you were wearing suspenders that day or something. I don't know. I have this like very vivid <laughs> image of us. And we were sitting there sipping matcha green tea. And it was right when I started Hungry for Happiness. And all I knew was like, I have this mission of helping women not hate their bodies and use food as a drug and, and mm-hmm. healing eating disorders. And I was, you know, during that time when you and I originally met, I was reflecting on the gnarly journey I had trying to heal my eating disorder and how. I was doing it all in the wrong ways. And then once I found that it's all emotions and it's all about, you know, shifting our emotionality and healing these parts of us, that's what actually got me out of it. And so when you when you and I were sitting there at that cafe, I was like, man, I have this huge mission to help end diet culture and just really bring women back into their bodies. So food is just an afterthought, you know, and it's not, it doesn't rule our lives and destroy our destroy us and and we're not at war with our bodies anymore. Our bodies become something that is just the greatest vessel of, you know, bringing us along this human journey. So that was sort of the birth of Hungry for Happiness uh, back in the day, seven years ago. And then a couple of years ago, I shifted the company and pivoted into creating an academy, so a certification where I am coaching people to become Hungry for Happiness coaches so they can start their own businesses. And that's just been the biggest dream when I get to work with some incredible mm. people. That is really sweet. Yeah. It's it's interesting to me that the idea of creating a anti-diet, you know, sort of culture and a, a an environment where we don't hate our bodies, uh, women especially, but, you know, it's for sure relatable, I think, mm. to everybody. Um, I think men, we are just more co- covert about it. We suffer in silence in it. Mm. Um, but I, I, what I think is interesting is it's counterculture, you know, to mm. go against the diet industry because who makes money off you loving your body the way yeah. or loving yourself the way you yeah. are? I mean, really, ultimately, none mm. of the great marketing schemes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. We perpetuate this like dependency model, right? Of I need something outside of myself in order to feel whole. And the weight loss industry has capitalized completely on this insecurity, you know, and, and, and we even sort of see it sometimes in, in the coaching industry of, of like, I need someone so that I feel this and it's just not the case. And if we can help people, you know, unlock the power within themselves rather than feeling empowered by being dependent on someone or something like that is ultimately how we're going to raise the consciousness of the planet and help wake people up. So, um, yeah, it's sad what's happening right in, in, in Mm -hmm. the industry. And I think where people are waking up to how, um, destructive it is and, and really, um, how much they have fallen a victim to it. So when you're doing your work, I mean, which has led to breath work and the body work, so much of that self-hate or that body hate, um, you were talking about it being correlated to emotion and feelings. Mm -hmm. So do you want to just explain a little more about that for the people listening? 
Definitely. So when I was going through my eating disorder, I had a super unhealthy relationship with any emotionality or any sensation in my body. At that time, I couldn't, all I could really feel was anxiety, like intense anxiety and numbness. It was difficult for me to feel my intuition. Like people would talk about like, well, what's your intuition? I'm like, I don't think I have one. Like, I I don't know what you guys are talking about. I hear that all the time though. Like, Mm -hmm. how do I trust my gut? Especially Mm -hmm. when chemistry or their gut or attraction has led them to trauma. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All of us, I think at some point. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, so because those were the two primary things I could ultimately feel in my system, which was just complete numbness, nothingness and anxiety. Whenever I had anxiety, I would use food as a drug or I would overexercise or I would suppress my emotion through restriction. And I would use, um, food and exercise to get out of my body and be disconnected from my body. Well, Ultimately, we need to feel in order to heal. We can't logically think our way out of an emotional issue. We need to be embodied. We need to feel our way through those layers. And that was a concept that I just didn't understand. And even all of the years I was in therapy and eating disorder recovery, it was all very much about controlling the external so that my eating disorder would go away. Well, that just Uh drove my disorder even even deeper. And ultimately, what, what began the journey of, of transformation in a sustainable and healthy way was the ability to change my relationship to anxiety, change my relationship to pain, allow myself to get into my body and understand that anxiety is data. It's information. Yeah. It's letting us know that something's out of alignment. And if I can be the observer of my anxiety and not identify with it, then I can actually learn from it. Mm, and so it, be, it, it changed the game for me. And even today when, when I'm triggered or I have anxiety, cause I still, I still do. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? What, what are, what are the hard conversations that I'm not willing to have right now? Where do I need to clear energy? maybe it was something that I put in my body, like where am I out of alignment? And it just allows me to really observe what's going on and take sort of inventory of, of my experience and understand this anxiety is here for a reason. It's a portal to healing. And how can I, how can I respond to it accordingly rather than suppress it and numb it? Isn't that so much it? Hey, this idea that feeling and anxiety and things like depression and, and whatever it is, positive emotion and what we code as negative emotion mm-hmm. are all just information. Totally. And we haven't been taught that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if you feel sad or you feel overtly sad, permanently sad, idea of depression or anxious. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard um, not long ago a uh, young, uh, she's a teenager talking to uh, one of her like aunts or something. I can't remember who the relation was. And she was saying like, oh, I feel anxious. And, you know, she's going away to college, moving away to freaking Europe or something. And she's like, I feel anxious. And I, you know, I'm, and her, uh, the, the relation was like, yeah, that's just because it runs in our family. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a chemical thing that you need. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no you <laughs> actually should be feeling a form of anxiety, which is excitement. Too. Absolutely. Because I know yeah. in studies, when you tell someone who's about to publicly speak to say they're excited rather than anxious, they actually perform much better. Mm-hmm. So there is a, a, a mild line between those two experiences, not to discount also that anxiety comes from this fear of of not being able to control the future or creating a future we don't want that we're mm-hmm. we're actually in momentum to create. Yeah. And so in this um so do, do you think anxiety is one of the core emotions that 
or it's maybe the response to a feeling that's been suppressed. Do you find that it's one of the main reasons that people have a dysfunctional relationship with whatever they have a dysfunctional relationship with? It's an element of it, absolutely. I think when we talk about the complexity of why we have eating disorders and why we struggle with food in our bodies, there's so many reasons, right? There's yeah. the, the nature versus nurture conversation. A lot of times what I see is if mothers have a dysfunctional relationship with food in their body and from a very, very young age, they uh, always talked about dieting. They always talked about how they were fat and overweight and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and the I've daughters pick that up, right? And and misery loves company. So you'll find that women constantly, even mothers and daughters, right? Love to bond because we are so wired for connection. And oftentimes we find that connection through unhealthy things like talking about how fat we are, how this we are, blah, 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 blah. So there's, there's, there's that element as well of like just mirroring what, what we see. And, and I know for myself, like I saw my mom on so many different diets. And so when I got of to the right age, I was like, Oh, interesting. Like I'm going to try that. And so Mm -hmm. it was a part of my, like, um, it was, it was a part of just like what I observed. I'm like, I'm going to try that. So it became a part of my blueprint until I decided that it's not. But when we look at the identities that we hold on to that keep us stuck, it's really important to look at things like that. Like I'm just an anxious person, right? That was Mm -hmm. also my identity. That was my mask. That was the thing that I held on to. I'm like, well, I can't do that because I'm just anxious or this happened because I'm just anxious. And it's like, no, Sam, actually, actually that's not true. You've decided that therefore you've manifested it and and it's, it's now a reality, but like we are the creators of our experience, but we're also the destroyers. I can destroy any belief, any mask, any limiting belief, any doubt that I've been holding onto that isn't completely aligned with where I want to go or what I want to do. So it really begins with the self-awareness piece. But going back to your question around like, uh, like is anxiety a huge piece of eating disorders? It's like, absolutely. Because when we feel anxious, it's like, I don't want to feel anxious anymore. I don't want to feel anxious anymore. So I'm going to use food as a, as a drug to numb that feeling. And underneath that anxiety, it's like this, this, this fear of, for me, it was like this fear of like, I don't think I'm going to be loved if I'm overweight. I don't think I'm going to be loved if I don't look a certain way. Because growing up, I, I, I was praised on my ability to, wow, Sam, you're so athletic. You're so this, you're so talented. Like, let's look at you on stage dancing. And I'm like, wow, if I lose that, I'm not going to be loved because that was, that's what I thought was a source of my love. So I, I held onto that and controlled that for dear life. That's so true. I mean, for me, when I was in grade five, grade six, I was chubby. And when I lost weight, not in a healthy way from the summer of grade eight and grade nine, I mean, I wasn't high in the social structure, even though, you know, formerly I was probably more athletic. And then I became really athletic when I um, got thin again. But what was interesting is I was instantly rewarded for fitness. Every girl who didn't pay attention to me or give me the time of day before summer of grade nine, you know, it was like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, Mark, hi. And before it was like, oh, he's a nice friend, you know, and that in a lot of ways created a lot of resentment for me, but did fully create this uh, continued war with my body. Mm. This like idea of, I can't, I'm I'm thinking back, like, did I have a lot of anxiety about it? Um, Yeah, I think I had a lot of anxiety about constantly chasing this idea. And it still lives in the like, uh, it it lives in the conscious more now, because Mm. I can observe it but this idea of what a good body should be like and that I will never have the ideal that is in my head. Cause I'm sure even if I had 12 abs, 
I would still be like, oh, but this part of my body isn't fit enough or I'm not muscular enough or I'm not, you know, and it's this, I mean, as a man, that's something I've constantly, I don't know, uh, battled with. Mm-hmm. It roots back to just um, this whole illusion of perfectionism. When I'm perfect, then I will be loved. And an eating disorder is a very masculine driven way of getting love, right? I have to work really, really, really hard it's at my so body. Yeah. It's like hyper control, right? I, I need to control my food. I need to control my body. I need to control everything so controlled and it has to be a certain way. And we work so, 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 so hard to make sure that we maintain that standard. Now, if we strip down everything and get back to the core, what is it? I just want to be loved. That's yeah, all it is. I just, not about, I just want to be enough. I just want to be loved. So rather than creating unhealthy strategies that give us that leading feeling, how can we create sustainable long-term strategies to get to that sensation of love, to get to that frequency of love immediately rather than hustling for our worth constantly and hustling to feel enough and loved? Yeah. You know, that idea of hustling, you know, we're in this <laughs> culture where it's like hustle, hustle, work hard, busy. Yeah. I, what I find fascinating is that whenever things occur outside of our control, which I think you could argue is ultimately the definition of a trauma mm-hmm. is something unexpected happens that we had no control over. That's how uh, Julie Gottman defined it on, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really an, a great way of, cause then it gives yeah. birth to our right to have any trauma, absolutely, you know, which you have a right to, but it's m- normally someone might say, well, you weren't abused. You didn't have, you didn't go to war. You didn't, you know, there's all these ways yeah. where we're like, oh, that's a credible trauma. Totally. Okay. You know, as opposed, right. As opposed to a trauma mm. um, being simply you came home and your partner packed their bags and left, or mm. you were dating someone and they just stopped texting you or mm. communicating. They just ghosted you. That's trauma. You know, Absolutely. but I, what I find fascinating historically before I ever really studied human behavior on such a deep level is I will always used to think this, like I saw people become obsessive about exercise, obsessive about God, excess, obsessive about all these different things. And usually the turning point to their obsession was someone, something happening, happening that was unexpected. But where I noticed it a lot with God was when someone died unexpectedly. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden we like cling to our belief. You know, mm-hmm. we cling so I mean, death is such a terrifying thing when you actually go down the path of like, hey, we're having this conversation on a podcast. One day we won't be doing this. And that's kind of fucked up to sort of go down the path. Absolutely. All of a sudden mm-hmm. we're like, uh. But, uh, but I noticed that people would then become overtly controlling about things they could control, mm-hmm. like exercise, like food, like their belief system, mm-hmm. which of course doesn't fix it because there's still things you can't control. Mm-hmm. And in the context you were before we started recording, you were talking about how breath work was ultimately like the the secret ingredient you didn't know. Mm-hmm. So what were you using as solutions prior to adding breath breath work to? Because I'm sure, you know, mm-hmm. all of the solutions are beautiful yeah. Yeah. and all of them will serve a path for someone. Mm-hmm. And and but how what did you do before and then now what is sort of your strategy mm. to get people into that that space 
I think one of the biggest things was changing my relationship to my pain, changing my relationship to anxiety, right? And really realizing that pain is the portal to the truth and pain ultimately is the greatest teacher that we have. And when I, when we can just look at emotionality as as neutral. There's no good, bad. It just is what it is. It's just different experiences, you know, and, and finding almost like this stillness and this, um, sacredness in anxiety and in pain, knowing that that too gets to be there. I'm, I'm of the belief that everything's happening perfectly in perfect timing. Even the shitty stuff that happens in life, you know, even the stuff that I'm like, why is this happening? It's like, cool. Well, I'm going to look back on this one day and realize that this too is happening for me. This is, yeah, it's serving a purpose and it's contributing to my soul agreement. It's, it's contributing to my curriculum on this planet. And if I can just embrace all parts of it, embrace all parts of myself, my being, my sensations, my, you know, my inner child, my triggered self, my ego, I can just embrace and observe all parts of me. And also know that I, I think I have this just, belief that like this whole thing is just a game and my 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 job here is just to make the game as easy as possible you know i always say like i'm a really lazy high achiever i'm like i just want shit to be really easy i'm the laziest high achiever (laughs) i I love it i do just enough to do enough like why make (laughs) life harder i love that about you i'm like that too why make life harder like if i'm aware that i'm addicted to suffering or i'm addicted to struggling and i'm so committed to that. I'm so intent on struggling and it's creating an unhappy experience in my body. Why the heck am I doing that? What if I was to allow it to be easy? So I have this, this, this sort of filter of like, okay, this is just a game and my ultimate outcome is happiness. So how am I going to show up? How am I going to interact with my sensations? How am I going to treat people? How am I going to treat myself so that happiness is my, is my outcome. I think we're so committed to being right that we forget that we just want to be happy. And so that, that's one of like the big things that I focus on is like using pain as a portal to healing and and raising consciousness and understanding who I am more. And then realizing that this whole experience is, is just a game. And the more that I actually read this on one of your Instagram quotes, like years ago, um, and I don't know if it was your words or someone else's, but you said, um, we're, we're, we're coming home to parts of us that we've been at war with. Was that yours or someone uh, else's? I don't know, but I know the quote. You know the quote, right? You know, eventually so, your words start to be like, are they mine? Or are they yeah, I know. Uh, you're coming. No, I believe it's someone else's. You're but meeting I do parts of yourself it. that you've been at war with, right? Yeah, I don't believe those are mine. But I do remember it because it's so beautiful. So like, beautiful. It's so beautiful. And so if we can just increase the kindness that we have for our bodies, if we can increase the kindness that we have for our experience and, and honor and love all parts of us, love those, those shitty beliefs that we have, because when we love them and when we observe them, then we can choose differently. And I think the path of transformation is not a push and a force. The path of transformation is when is when pain meets love. When we when we're in pain and we choose to love, because right now we feel pain and we choose to shame. We're like, I'm going to shame that. I shouldn't feel that. Blah blah blah. And then there's guilt and all sorts of things, and it just creates a cluster in our in our in our nervous system. So when we can meet all parts of us with love and kindness and understanding and curiosity versus judgment, we allow the path of transformation to happen with 
with, with fluidity, with, with ease, and we're, we're not hitting so much resistance with our bodies. And so that was sort of my school of thought and adding breath work onto that sort of amplifies, you know, that process. So the first part, seeing emotion as information rather mm-hmm. than judgment uh, yeah. of the emotion, and I mm-hmm. shouldn't feel a certain thing. And then inviting in what it's trying to teach you. And mm-hmm. and then that is really, you're right, the ultimate path to turning the, you know, opening the faucet, yeah. allow it to flow through you instead of getting emotions stuck within you that mm-hmm. you don't want to feel and won't allow it to feel. Yeah. You're right, that, that idea of I shouldn't feel this way, but you do. But you do, so, and it is what it is. Exactly. And, and we can feel mm-hmm. such interesting things. I, I love the idea of dialectics that we can be, rather than I'm either anxious or excited. It's like, you can be both anxious and excited. It's like totally. if someone gets engaged and they're like, um, you know, I'm, 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 ex- I'm anxious about being engaged. What does that mean? Mm. But there's probably other parts of you that feel different ways too, you know, that you're able to ask and inquire about. You were right. I, again, what you said too about curiosity, like meet your feelings with curiosity. Yeah. What are you teaching me? Why are you here? What are you trying to tell me? Because, mm-hmm. man, I, what I think is so fascinating about emotion is if I was to take my hand and put it on a stove and burn my hand, I would move my hand, ideally, or else mm-hmm. you're not going to have a hand. And, <laughs> but the, what we do with emotion is I'm in this situation in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to say I shouldn't be because I should be more grateful for all the things I have. I should be more, maybe you're, maybe you're not actually happy though. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe your situation in your life is making you depressed. And instead of listening to that, we have created a culture where it says, take a pill yeah, or get plastic surgery or do a drug Mm -hmm. or get on Tinder or, Mm -hmm. you know, like whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And I'm not shaming any of those choices. It's the intent of why we do them. The in- I love that you just said that. The intent of why we do anything. You know, it's like having a glass of wine, for instance. There, we can have two intents. We can have an intent to numb our emotions, to check out because we're so stressed out and we can't handle life. Or we can have it to enhance an experience, to connect deeper with someone. Same thing with food. We can. There's no good and there's no good food and bad food. It's just what's the intent behind it? Are you using that food to numb your emotions, or are you um, enhancing a moment, like really savoring mm-hmm. that? You know. And so it's so. I love that you said that. It's so important to check in. Like, what's our intention behind consumption? What's our intention behind behavior? What's our intention behind our words, right? Everything is, everything is amplified by where it comes from the, the birthplace. Pima Chodron, uh, she wrote this, oh, so she's good. written so many good things, but I was reading her book, When Things Fall Apart. I just finished that Isn't book. That so good. Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. And one of the parts I really loved, I listen to it. I don't read books anymore. I just listen to them, but, um, it makes me complete way more books. And one thing I really loved that she said was what she talked about my tree, right? Like this idea of becoming best friends with yourself, not Mm. self-love, but like actually appreciating and respecting yourself and being best friends with yourself. And I love that. And one of the concepts she talked about, which I'm sure you remember, is that we reach to these things when we have a feeling we're not comfortable feeling. And so one of the practices, I think she said of Buddhism is this idea of the refrain, Mm -hmm. refraining from the thing so we Mm -hmm. can sit in the feeling. Yeah. And I find too, like I have some, 
friends whose uh, son was like going through some stuff. He's only, he was only two at the time and they sent him to his room and uh, the, the mom said, I want to go get him and, uh, because, you know, I don't want him to feel the way he feels. Right. Mm-hmm. And the dad said to her, um, my, both of them are good friends of mine. Um, are you getting him for you or for him? And I was like, oh, shit. Wow. And it really like connected these dots where I'm like, we're not comfortable with the other people sitting in feelings that we're not comfortable sitting in. Mm. And so we try to save people from that. You know, where like, if so we, I know you do this too, is like if we're working in a group and someone's crying or like emotional, we don't let someone go over there and try to rescue them from yeah. it. So many yeah. people want to go hug. Mm. And it's not to say people shouldn't be respected and loved in their pain, but it's to say, let them feel it. Stop. Because you were saying too, that sometimes we use pain to create connection. Exactly. And so that exactly. sometimes can be it. Like I'll go into my sadness or into my depression, into my thing. Cause I know I get rewarded, mm. which is fucking yeah. crazy that us as humans do that, that we'll get stuck mm-hmm. in our pain cause it's mm-hmm. connective. Mm-hmm. We just have an intolerance to handle pain, whether it's physical or emotional, right? Like even, you know, a kid's driving his bike and he falls over and the mom's like, get it away, get it away. Like put a bandaid on it, Johnny. Okay. It's like, let the, let the guy bleed for a bit, you know, like yeah, allow like, need a transplant, like relax. <laughs> You know, I, and we have an inability to witness humans in the most beautiful states, which can be fear and loneliness and crying and everything like that. And I had this interesting moment the other day where I, I felt I was in a hotel by myself and I was traveling for work and I was in my hotel room and I'm like, I feel lonely. And then I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to sit here with this sensation of loneliness and feel it mm-hmm. and allow it and embrace it and love it and transcend it. And it was so beautiful, just the experience. And what I came to was like, it was just like I was craving myself. I was craving my attention. I was craving like um, self-soothing because I was just so busy and so distracted and working and giving myself away to everyone that I just felt like lonely. But it wasn't like I wanted another human or I wanted anything else. I just wanted myself. And so when we can sit long enough in those experiences and in those sensations, we learn what we actually need, which is such a beautiful gift that we can give Mm. ourselves. Oh man, isn't it? Like I remember when I first started meditating, I would only do, I think it was five minutes and I would set the timer on my watch after working out. I'd go in the steam room and I could hardly do five minutes. Like I would be like, okay, we're at three, you know, and <laughs> think now that I could sit through 45 pretty easily. Mm. I feel like you get to the magic around 40 minutes. Like something yeah. happens around 40 minutes where you almost feel like the space between you and your eyes being closed all starts to sort of melt away and become one. Um, is yeah. breath work then, because I don't really know a lot about breath work. I have been to a breath work class, a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Um, where I did feel like I was on drugs, mm-hmm. you know, where I was like, okay, I remember doing Wim Hof. I went to a Wim yeah. Hof talk yeah. Yeah. and we all did it in a group with Wim Hof talking. And I, he's like, get high on your own supply. <laughs> and I was like, I'm fucking high right now. <laughs> so can we just talk yeah. about what happens in our body and what it is? Cause mm-hmm. people listening are like, finally, fucking what is breath work? Like we've been talking about this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I like to describe breathwork as industrial grade meditation. 
<laughs> That's awesome. I find myself oftentimes in meditation and I love meditation, but I love it only after I do breath work. And the reason why is because with breath work, you don't have to fight your mind at all. You go into an altered state of consciousness where you bypass the mind and get directly into your body. Hmm. And from that place, we can access just deeper states of love, deeper states of peace. And essentially what we're doing is we're using the breath actively and consciously and we're, we're, we're breathing our breath versus the breath breathing us. And what it's doing is the breath is unlocking emotions in our system and clearing them. So for, for like an, a long breath session, you will cry, you will be happy, maybe you'll get angry, maybe your body will shake because the energy is just on smooth through your body. And essentially what we're doing is we're, we're clearing any stuck emotions in the system and we're getting back into balance. We're getting back into our own essence. And from that place, we can think clear, we are more in alignment, we make better decisions. Um, I was telling you when, um, when I'm feeling angry and I just want to like shoot my boyfriend a shitty text, I'll just do some breath work and I'll clear that energy. And I'm like, oh, that actually wasn't about him. I was annoyed at myself for whatever, or I took on someone else's energy or whatever it is. And so what breath work gives us the ability to do is to shift emotions without having to think about how to feel different. Because I think that's one of the biggest things in personal development right now is what I've observed over the last 10 years is we're so intent on making it hard that we try and overthink how to feel better. Mm -hmm. So breath work gives us direct access to get into the body and shift the emotion at a, at a cellular level um, rather than thinking about it up in our head. I always say like the less, like when I don't use my brain, I'm so much smarter <laughs> yeah. because my body is Great. just so much more wise. So we can, we can do breath work. Um, breath work's a beautiful tool for people who struggle with anxiety, people who struggle with not being able to feel, eating disorders, addiction. I mean, the, the list is endless. Um, and it's, it's not yet mainstream. It's one of these interesting certainly things. certainly isn't. Right? It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, patchouli oil meets, I don't know, like some sort of guy named Guru Batsing, you know. <laughs> That's actually someone's name. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's still <laughs> like on the... Uh, it's kind of like meditation or yoga would have been yoga would have been like 15, 20 years ago where people exactly. are like, uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to go sit and stretch. I remember friends totally. saying that like, I'm not going to yoga and I'm like, listen, dumbasses. Yeah. It's just women. Yeah. What are you doing? You yeah. know, but yeah. that I was single when I was thinking that and I was <laughs> like, it's so true. You know, guys still haven't figured it. or people who are interested in the feminine. Yeah. Don't go to spin class. Don't go to freaking yoga. Don't go to the class by Taryn Toomey. I'm like, they're like, where can I meet someone who's into this? I'm like, just go to any of these classes. Like, what are you doing? Totally. Anyway, sorry. That was a Totally. Well, it's interesting because it's, it's, I first discovered breath work years ago. I was in Bali and I was, it was when I was overcoming my eating disorder and I went to Bali and I was, I was supposed to go to this meditation class. I ended up missing the meditation class and going to breath work. But when I read about breath work, I was like, what is this? Like, I know how to breathe. Like, it's totally fine. But I was like, oh my gosh. And to, you know, similar to you, like my experience was like, I, did I just drop acid? Like that was the most, that was a crazy experience. <laughs> you know, going back to what I shared about before, a girl who could really only feel numbness and anxiety. I, I immediately within, within, a, within like an hour session had access to joy and bliss and happiness and contentment and peace and all of these states that I just literally shut myself off from. And so I'm like, this is unbelievable. Mm, cool. And so I began to just use it to heal my body from my eating disorder. And then 
used to just in my own personal practice over the last seven years and a couple of years ago, I was like, no, this needs to be mainstream. Like I'm going, I'm going to create, um, a company to do this. And what is your company called now? Pause breathwork. Pause. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, whenever you come up with brand names, I'm always like, that's so fucking good. <laughs> Hungry for happiness is so good. Thank you. And pause breathwork, which is mm. before we started recording, I was asking if, is is the thing about breath work, especially for treatment of anxiety? But I, I, as you've been speaking, I get that it's about just being able to connect to any feeling. Mm-hmm. Is it the this idea of it literally demands and roots you in the present yeah. moment? It, like you literally yes. can't, yes. your brain can't go through. Because you were saying before that when I don't think I'm way smarter. And I love that because that's so true because our, our thoughts aren't going through all the lenses and beliefs exactly. that we don't even know that it does exactly. before we come out with this asshole judgment yeah. that isn't in our core. We're not like, mm. that person's fat. We're, that only comes up when we go through all these structures of beliefs that we've yeah. been taught that that body's not beautiful mm-hmm. or that thing's not beautiful or that yeah. feeling's not okay. So is it that, that, that demanding the pull to the present moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not a force into the present. It's an allowance into the present. So when we use the breath, like we that. open up the space to just be, and, and we get out of doing because we're always in doing, yeah. always in doing. And the breath allows us to be in a state of being. Well, that is the very feeling that humanity is desperate for. We're starving for it. We Especially do because it's so, so easy to go things. to our phones. Yes, like, exactly. Like, I saw a bunch of people standing at fucking Starbucks in line. And I'm pretty mindful because for sure I've had to do work on my phone when I'm out in public and blah, blah, blah. But like I saw everybody in the fucking line was on it. And I'm like, yeah. hey, you could all meet each other if you put your fucking phone down. They're Dude. all like, it's so hard to meet people. In person. <laughs> I'm like, of course it is. Your phone's up your ass. You know, half the time, it fucking drives me nuts. Because I'm going to always say shit like that. Oh, it's hard to me. Have you dated in New York? Yeah, I'm like, there's only 9 million people. Must suck. Get out of here. I know. It's so funny. It's so funny. We are so addicted to the feeling that our phone gives us, even though it's fleeting and often highly uncomfortable. What if we were to be get really clear about what is the actual sustainable feeling that we want to create in our systems and how can we create that? Not through anything in the external world, but only through the the very thing that we use every single day, with, which is our breath. Every emotion has a corresponding breath pattern. Every emotion has a corresponding breath pattern. Tell me more about that. So like when we're in a state of anxiety, we have a certain breath pattern. When we're scared. <gasps> yeah, we're shallow or right? rapid. Yeah. yeah. When, we're, when we're feeling like loving and peaceful and relaxed, it's like. Yeah. What is the uh, natural amount of breaths per minute that if we're 26, in a uh, 26,000 a day. So divided by, I'm no, I'm no mathematician. Yeah, but that's a lot that I don't know. I don't, so. <laughs> So in 24 hours, but I'm sure I remember reading something about like in a relaxed, calm state, we breathe, we should be breathing around six times. Mm. So once every 10 seconds, which makes that's of course in a very, like without any sort of uh, nervous system stimulation, Mm -hmm. as you were saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then I wonder too is, so as you control your breathing, even when you're in an excited state, Mm -hmm. then do you, cause I know when you get into fight, flight, freeze, or you you code something as a threat, which mm-hmm. happens through the lens that you don't even know you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, 
then we our prefrontal cortex shuts down. Yeah. So then we can't think. Exactly. And then we go into lizard brain. And let me exactly. tell you, my lizard brain hasn't made a lot of great decisions. Nope, mine either. So how long can it, I don't know if you know this, but like, I wonder how long it can be from that breathing state to calm the body down from like an excited, when you're about yeah. to text your boyfriend. It happens. So I can, I can do conscious active breath work for 20 seconds and I can shift my emotional state. So let's just do it now. That's amazing. Yeah. So, okay, so let's do it. So let's just do it now quickly. So we're going to, we're going to do a breath pattern. That's only through the mouth. It's two breaths in and one long breath out and let's do it for 20 seconds. Okay. So, so okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to listening. If you're driving, I'm just gonna listen, your listen to this and then we'll do it together. So this is what it sounds like. Oh shit. Okay. So that's what it sounds like. So, so it's two in out, one in out. No, it's two in, one out. Two in, so two in, one out. For twenty seconds, we're gonna do. Yeah. This. So, so take. So, so tell me how you're feeling in your body right now. What do you feel? What does your system feel like? I feel pretty calm. Okay. I feel, uh, excited. Okay. I feel happy to be connecting with you. Okay. Um, and I feel excited to share this with people. Amazing. And I'm also. I wanted to say to people listening, if breath work feels kind of crackerjack or you're kind of afraid of it, that means you need to do it. Because <laughs> I know for me, whenever I'm afraid of something or I don't understand it, mm -hmm. it's actually the answer. Yeah. That's usually yeah. the truth. Where yeah. I'm like, oh, that yoga? Who would do that <laughs> stuff? That's for stretchy people in different areas of the world. No. <laughs> totally, totally. Okay, so let's do this. Totally. Okay, ready? Yeah. Three, okay, so two, two, and one out. Okay. That's it. Three, two, one, go. <sighs> Wow. So I feel flood, like my head feels flooded mm -hmm. with oxygen. Mm -hmm. I feel a little high, mm -hmm. a little high. Mm -hmm. I can't go, I haven't done that many drugs in my life, only weed and, and mushrooms. Yeah. I, won't, I didn't inhale or eat them though, if I masked directly. Um, but wow, that is like a really yeah. interesting, I feel very present to my whole body. Yeah. And that was 20 seconds. Good Lord. People, did you try that? Wow. So that for 20 minutes or longer. Oh, I couldn't even imagine 20 minutes. You must end up on a different planet. I did it for three hours in Joshua Tree at a retreat a little while ago. And it was like the craziest experience of my did life. you become the desert? I just became one with everything. I was like, I love everything. Three it hours. 
Yeah, but time collapses. So I, I woke up and I thought it was 10 minutes. I was like, I heard like the music being like, oh, it's over. And I'm like, what? I had no idea. But then I had memories of like journeys and visions and my past life and my lineage and my inner child. And I, I, I had a vision of myself being born. Like it was nutty. That's pretty cool. Three mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that after I did the Wim Hof one, that was, I think, about 10 minutes total. Mm-hmm. I was able to, at the end of it, hold my breath for three minutes. Oh, so yeah. It was like yeah, crazy. Yeah. I think I could normally hold it for probably like a minute. Yeah. Um, but after doing this like deep oxygenated state, mm-hmm. not to mention you do that cold shower thing, which what I love, and I know people are, are not necessarily loving on Tony Robbins uh, currently, mm-hmm. but uh, I love what he said uh, previously that he takes cold showers because it reminds him that he doesn't negotiate with his pain. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. Neg- and I think what I love about cold showers or cold water plunges is you can experience your body's response to want to shut you down mm-hmm. and say you're in red alert mm-hmm. when you're actually not going to die. Absolutely. And so you Absolutely. learn how to manage mm-hmm. this high yeah. stress, high cortisol state. Mm-hmm. But it'd be interesting to... I'm going to, you know, I'm like really curious about breath work and I'm excited to uh, uh, get a plan from you. Well, it's interesting because um, I'll, I'll give your listeners access to this free audio that just is nutty. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear how they, how they feel after it. But when we do the breath work and then we do a breath hold, so you do breath work, say for like a minute and then you hold your breath and you just, you just observe yourself going through that state that you talked about of like, I can't hold my breath any longer. I can't do it. I can't do it. And then as soon as you just like hold on a little bit longer, you move into the state of just like peace and it's easy. Right. And so it's a breath work as a metaphor for life. So you know, in life, if we, if we just embrace the pain for just a little bit longer, we, we break free from it and we access deeper states of love, deeper states of peace, deeper states of contentment and presence, but we have to go through that sticky resistance feeling. Mm, I love that. And it is so much truth about just going beyond what you know, just going beyond like yeah. talking about that when you did this three hour one that you ended mm-hmm. up like having your birth experience, having mm-hmm. going to past lives. Listen for anyone listening. Who's like that shit's cracker Jack. I have to tell you, I went to this, uh, I go to this annual conference every year that's called the Psych Networker, and it's mm-hmm. all psychotherapists and psychologists and, um, and coaches and stuff. Um, but I went to this one uh, session that was called Shamanism Meets Psychotherapy. Yeah. And the teacher, she had become a psychotherapist and then had this crazy experience with shamanism. So mm-hmm. she studied shamanism. And I loved it because it was sort of the birth of two worlds. Interestingly, mm-hmm. it was not the most popular uh, session at the psychotherapy networker. And I say this with love, but a lot of people in that very heady world of just psychotherapy or, you know, of a human behavior mm-hmm. on a very linear evidence-based space often reject these other modalities, yeah. which yeah. I think is also representative of like Western medicine is fact and research and Eastern medicine is crackerjack, but they're actually becoming yeah. much, you need both. And, yeah. and so I did this breathwork ceremony thing well, meditation. And it was crazy. I have to tell for the people listening, because I would have never believed this prior to this experience. But 
I it said like go to the place where you experience your core wound, and I was like, "Shit, I don't know where that is. That's in a breakup at this age." And yeah. right after it said, "Don't go to where you think it is," and I was like, "Oh fuck!" So then I waited. I just all immediately I saw mm-hmm. my mom being taken from me, mm-hmm. and I was young. I was a baby, and the I texted my dad after because I knew he'd be like, he's pretty accessible if I message him because his iPad is right mm-hmm. there usually or his phone. <laughs> And so he's so great for replying to stuff. So I sent him a message. I'm like, Hey, I had this experience. How long was I in the NICU in the NICU uh, as a baby? Cause I was a C-section and I was premature. He's like, Oh, well, you know, you were born to two very loving parents. You know, he wants to protect me from everything. I love it. But he was <laughs> like, uh, you were in there for 10 days and we came and grabbed you and we were so excited to have you. And I was like, so I was in there for 10 days. And then what was crazy was for like two or three months, I had a lot of grief mm. that I couldn't label. I didn't know what it was. I was sad a lot, like mm. not related to anything that was currently in my life, but this grief that I couldn't label. And I asked uh, the psychotherapist shaman who led the session, like, what was that? Why can't I label it? And she was like, because a lot of our pain is pre-verbal. Mm. So if you don't have words to describe it because words didn't exist yet yeah. in your mind. And I'm like, Fuck. And I have mm. to say, it was a really am- crazy experience if I had tried to save it or protect it or not mm-hmm. feel it. But I'd literally be standing in a yard and and I just have a vivid memory of this. And I was like, I'm so sad. Mm-hmm. I just don't know why I'm sad. And I just would cry. And it took about three months for it to sort of process and move mm-hmm. through me. But I'm happy I didn't make any drastic life decisions during that. <laughs> that right, time. right. Yeah. I had to say it to Kai, like, this isn't about us. This is something going on in me. And I just totally. need to know that. Like, I just need your support in holding this. Yeah. So for yeah. anyone listening, I would have never thought even that my birth story was that significant. But I think we forget that you're still a full feeling, open, probably more open, human, even while you're in utero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of um, a child's, a baby's adult behavior is correlated to the couple's behavior in the third trimester. The Gottman's research, look at that. That's yeah. fascinating. So it shows you like the mm. mother's state, which doesn't mean that a child can't change it. So let's, everything is changeable. Mm-hmm. But often what happens is the mother's high cortisol state creates a high cortisol environment in the womb. So the Mm. baby actually doesn't create as much cortisol, which you would think would be good because it's a stress hormone, but no, it's actually released to bring us back from a stress state. So they Mm. can't do that. So they get what uh, researchers call uh, secondary PTSD, like inherit their mom's PTSD. So yeah, I know. Crazy. That's nuts. But yeah, I just want people to like be open to the possibility because you might not know where your pain comes from. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, um, it's actually right in front of me. It didn't start with you by Mark Wolin. No. But it's all, he's a psychologist who's from, I think he's from Calgary actually. Yeah. Crazy. That's but awesome. the book is called, it didn't start with you, how inherited family trauma shapes who we are and how to end the cycle. And it's all about how like even previous generations of trauma can live within your own body. Mm-hmm. And he talks about cases. It's crazy. So it's cool that you're talking about this thing because I think it is something that challenges our paradigm. 
Absolutely. And, and that's scary for a lot of people, right? It's funny that you, yeah. you say that. It's like, I had this image of like, I was holding the pain of my mom's trauma, my grandma's trauma, my great grandma's trauma. And the message that I got through that breathwork session was, it's your responsibility to heal this for the future generations. And I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> that's all I have to do. Like- oh, shit. Thanks for the U-Haul filled with emotional <laughs> trauma. You know, like, yeah. thanks mom and dad and whoever, grandma, grandpa. Yeah. I do definitely agree with that because when you look at relational patterns, and you follow a family tree, they're easily followable, mm-hmm. especially because most relationships historically, if you go back six, seven generations, especially, but this could be true of two generations, um, people didn't get married for love. Yeah. They got married systemically. Mm-hmm. So the relational patterns are actually not based on maintaining connection. They're based on not killing each other and just being able to survive. Absolutely. We're in such a different state now where it's like you don't meet your Maslow's lowest needs with your relationship anymore. Mm -hmm. Most of us are Mm self-sufficient but or can be. But it's like you actually can reach Mm -hmm. self-actualization in Maslow's work. That's what that's from. You can reach self-actualization through the triggers that you experience in relationship because otherwise you don't know what you suck at. That's why relationships are such a gift because you're like, I'm so upset even though. Yeah. You know, you're coding something a 10 out of 10 that should be a two. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. We like break up over a fact that they didn't text us. Like that can't be real. You know, you're done, bro. You're done. <laughs> but the shit is real. Mm-hmm. Shit happens all the time. Yeah. Like I get asked questions all the time. Things like, well, I was texting with them and then they just didn't get back to me in 24 hours. So does this mean I should move on? I'm like, no, it just means that they didn't. I mean, get curious, but don't yeah. just, you don't have to ditch everything. Now, if you're used to picking shitheads, then we should probably look at that. But yeah, but that's I probably love, I love a, how you say a, shitheads. <laughs> well, it's probably like an inherited, uh, just like the shithead is inherited trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what we're used beautiful. to. Right. And that's such a beautiful, that's such beautiful work to say, like, it's not fair that I got all this, like this truckload of shit. Mm-hmm. But I have to do something about it yeah. because I don't want my kids spending their Mm -hmm. fucking lives trying to read the right book, trying to do the right thing, trying to find breath work. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I just want them to live. Absolutely. Bulletproof boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I think there's like an element of uh, emotional responsibility and personal accountability that comes into play when we realize that we, you know, are carrying U-Hauls worth of trauma. You know, we we have a choice in that. And it's like, ultimately, do we want to go into the scary places? You know, scary, not, not really scary, but also can be can be and and liberating AF when we, when we get to the other side of it. And, and what is the, what is the reality that we want to create for ourselves and for our kids if we choose to have them, you know, to come? Yeah. And I I really think it is about this. Do you want to live in a familiar prison or do you want to live in an unfamiliar, like blissful space? Cause that's really when you let go of this need to be certain, even if it sucks. Yeah. You like now allow your life to unfold in, in yeah. this beautiful way. Yeah. You know, it's like, I can never meet anybody or everybody I meet is this way. Like I got asked the other day, someone said, um, what happens if you're a sexual person, but you keep getting used? I was like, well, then you're a sexual person who doesn't honor themselves and have great Absolutely. boundaries. It's actually pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Generally, mm-hmm. like that's the thing is humans are actually not that complex. Yeah. I know it sounds like we are, but we, 
we literally can only express dysfunction in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're not actually that flexible in our dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. But we got a lot of it. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so, okay. So how do people get access to this? How do we, because I want to do this too. So let's do it together. Yeah. Um, we have a, a free audio. Um, so just hungryforhappiness.com slash pause audio. Hungryforhappiness.com. Okay. I'll put it in the show notes for everybody. Cool. And uh, then um, once you do it, you may be feeling all sorts of things. So if you have any questions, they can hit me up on Instagram and I'm happy to support and help over there. So where do they find you on Instagram? At Samantha Skelly. And Sam is super funny. So if you like humor mixed with growth, a lot of the funny memes uh, are like about tacos or something like that. Sam is usually the founder of these things. You really find the funniest memes. So I love you have it. to, yeah, I would follow her for sure. Definitely do that. It will not only make your day better from a humor perspective, it will also teach you a lot. Because I think that is really what it's all about is, can we laugh through our growth? Can we we got to laugh, laugh through our pain. What the fuck because, else you know, are we going like, to do? Well, exactly. Exactly. Like life is so fucking hilarious when we let it. And when we, when we look at our crazy ass patterns, we go, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Humans are fucked. And we, <laughs> we grow through it. It's amazing. But when we're like, oh, it's so hard. Life is hard. It's like, that's, come on. We got to laugh. I can't wait to do that uh, breath work for like 20 minutes. I when don't you do know. it, when you do it, text me and I let will. me know what you think. It's, it's gnarly it's next level like people send me messages on instagram just being like i had no idea i could possibly feel self-love i've been searching this whole time and i'm like i know so what happens when we surrender the mind to your body and if we oh yeah uh, as you said those different breath patterns so we can get locked in a breath pattern based on a trauma from when we're young yeah you know and that's Mm. that you start to oxygenate your whole body Mm. not only do you breathe obviously oxygen into your whole body but you nurture all the cells in all your extremities. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see like, um, do you ever, have you listened to Paul Stamets talk? The guy who's the expert on mycelium? Yes. Mushrooms, but not magic mushrooms only, all mushrooms. Yes. And his podcast with Joe Rogan is really cool. But he talks about how um, a micro dose of lion's mane Mm -hmm. can be very, and I'm not recommending anyone do anything without consulting a physician. Let's be (laughs) clear about that. But microdoses of lion's mane, which you can buy, or doses of lion's mane, which you can buy at a grocery store, mm-hmm. um, actually produce uh, neuroplasticity that you can create new neuropathways with that um, mm-hmm. mycelium. So I thought that was kind of interesting. He said also if you stack it with uh, psilocybin, but I'm definitely not recommending that here. <laughs> um, so <laughs> with that said, okay, so people can find you on Instagram, Sam mm-hmm. Samantha Skelly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Samantha. Skelly. Samantha. Samantha. And hungryforhappiness.com. Yeah, hungryforhappiness.com. And for the breath work, hungryforhappiness.com slash pause. Pause audio. Yeah. Pause audio. Okay, yeah. amazing. Anything else? Anywhere else? Any other places? SamanthaSkelly.com has has some some shenanery over there, but mostly like everything I'm all about is always on Instagram. So just come hang out over there. And hungry for happiness is also a certification program for people who want to become hungry for happiness coaches to help people not only use breath work, but all things to move through 
their issues and challenges with food in their bodies. Yeah, we have both. So if, if someone wants to become a hungry happiness coach and work with people who struggle with eating disorders, we have that. And then on the pause side, we have a facilitator training. So if people want to learn how to facilitate breath work in their homes and communities and, and uh, yoga studios and things like that, then we have a facilitator training on the pause side. So yeah, everything's, everything's all on the, on the interwebs. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the mm-hmm. podcast today. People are going to get, I mean, so much from this. I'm I already so got high in the middle. Of it. And <laughs> That's unlike, how we do. <laughs> yeah, that was fantastic. So um, I appreciate you. Thank you for the work you do. And thank you for sharing it with the world. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. Of course.